1: York Times best-selling and award-winning author of Kick-Ass International Thrillers. And this is The Taylor Stevens Show with my good friend Steve Campbell, where we are kicking writing in the butt, one word at a time.
0: So Taylor, we had the grandkids all weekend long, and uh, we had a lot of fun with them. We took them to a dinosaur event, not event, uh, exhibit up in Fort okay. Myers, this traveling dinosaur exhibit. They had a great time. We were completely exhausted by the end of the weekend. And so about eight o'clock last night, we were sitting on the couch and Julie was scrolling through her phone and she says, oh, my gosh. And she hands me the phone and shows me a picture of uh, a new goat in the Taylor Stevens fan club (laughs) group. So what's the story there?
1: Oh, we had a new baby goat. (laughs) So, um, oh, it's so ridiculous. Um, this is the same goat that gave birth to Ferrari earlier this year. So this is two babies in 10 months. But I this was,
0: Ferrari was the one where you had to go in and do some excavation. Is that correct?
1: Yeah. I had to pull her out because yes. she, she was butt first instead of uh, feet and nose first. Yeah. And so uh, I was specifically trying to keep this goat from getting pregnant again so quickly because you know, it was a difficult labor. Uh, I wanted to make sure that she had plenty of time to build her strength back up and just, you know, I, I'm not a monster. <laughs> I'm not just breeding machines or whatever, you know. And so uh, for the longest time, we had kept uh, the mom and Ferrari separate from the flock because we wanted to, not the flock, the herd. We wanted to give her ch- the baby a chance to grow and not get trampled by these big goats. And at one point, we were like, okay, maybe— I was thinking maybe she's big enough to go back in with in with the big goats now because it's easier to keep them all together than have to keep them separate, keep the dogs separate. Anyway. So I put her back in, I put mama goat back in with the flock and I put Ferrari in too. And it, the, the billy goat was just running Ferrari ragged. She's too little. I was afraid she's going to get hurt. So they had one, one day out there, maybe two, And I separated and brought them back. And at that point in time, there was no indication that the mama goat was in heat. Ferrari was still nursing a little bit long. But, you know, and then shortly after that, Ferrari got her leg broke. And so they got separated again anyway, just to give her a chance to get away from the Billy. So except for that very, very brief amount of time, this goat was never around Billy. So how she got pregnant, I don't know. I mean, I do know, but biologically speaking, but I just was not what the plan was. And then all of a sudden she starts getting whiter and I'm like, she's pregnant again, isn't she? Meanwhile, the the Dolings that were younger last year are grown. They're getting big. And I let them run with him and they were frisky and amorous. And I've seen no signs whatsoever (laughs) that those two were pregnant. So I'm like, okay, that would totally track the way things have gone so far that the one goat who's not supposed to get pregnant gets pregnant and the ones who are supposed to don't. But anyway, uh, then it was like, okay, she had this huge struggle. She's obviously throwing these really big babies. Uh, I need to keep an eye on her. So I put her separate again so that in case she had the baby, she wouldn't like get trampled or hurt. And just so that it it wouldn't end up in another situation where some big cold day hits and she's off under a tree somewhere. So I put her back where I could keep an eye on her and I kept going out and checking on her, checking on her, checking on her. And you know, no baby, no baby. And I'm like, I don't think she can get any bigger. And no baby, no baby. And then all of a sudden there was a baby. (laughs) She had this baby when nobody was around in between checks. And uh, and I guess there were no complications because, you know, there he was. And he's just this adorable, just fluffy little monster. He's huge for, but he's, she apparently, she's only having one baby at a time. Goats typically have multiples, twos, threes, sometimes fours. And she's both times has had a single baby, but they've been these massive babies. So um, now I've got her separate with him and I go in there and try and, scratch on him and give him attention because he's very much his father's son and is, you know, he does these actions that I, I, it's like copy paste. (laughs) He's a boy. He's such a boy. And I don't want him to get, you know, to be difficult. I want to be able to handle him. So I got to go in there every day and scratch on him and mess with him and make sure he understands that people are friends and you don't run away from us and you don't headbutt us. (laughs) And, uh, yeah. And so, there's a new baby and we'll see maybe in a few months, who knows what those other coats will have babies too. But this was not a drama story. It was just, Hey, and here he is.
0: This was kind of amazing. After the, after the last one, I was so shocked that I saw the picture and I'm like, wait, what? Cause it looks so big. It's like, this must've happened some time ago. And then it's like, no, this was just a few days ago. And to go from the drama of the first one and it, I wish I could remember the, the episode number when you talked about that. But if you didn't hear that story, uh, you should go back and try and find it, because that was fascinating, uh, just the way that this baby goat came to be.
1: It was in February that—and then there he is. <laughs> yeah, so the first one took place in February. Um, I don't know what when we actually talked about it on the show. But it would be in that general time frame of February, March 2021, if anybody's looking for it.
0: And you also wrote about it, I believe, in the fan club group.
1: Yes, I did. And I'm trying to remember that I think it's a I wrote about a fan club group and I also wrote it about it like in story form, like the big story of all the details and everything on Patreon. And I'm trying to remember if that was done, I think it was public. I have to go back and look. There was a lot that I was writing about on Patreon at that time because that was also when the snowstorm hit and mm-hmm. or the ice storm when the entirety of Texas froze over. And so there was a lot to say, oh, my God, this is what's happening now. So there's quite a few posts from that time period on Patreon. And just the bare gist of it was showing up in the Facebook group.
0: I, our son has a, a small farm in outside of Austin. And he, they just started having baby cows. And it's like, how can that happen? You have to know. I mean, you have to see the difference in the mama cow. It's like, she must be pregnant. How do you miss that? And then I I just got such a kick out of reading your story on on Facebook yesterday and and learning about this. So I I guess I was wrong. My only experience with any of this is puppies.
1: Well, I knew this goat was pregnant, for sure, because she gets really, really wide. But... The other two could be, and I don't know. I can't tell. So, but I tend to not want to like go, oh, our goat is pregnant. She's going to have a baby when I don't know if something bad's going to happen. And then I have to go out and go, oh, and the baby died. You know, yeah, that's awful. Hard enough to deal with on my own without having to now like go and talk about it. So I tend to wait until after. (laughs) Oh, and he's still alive. Here he is.
0: So we do actually have a writing topic today that does not involve goats, at, at least not that I'm aware of. And it this comes this comes from episode, let's see what was it. It was episode 307 when we talked about solving problem scenes and then Taylor wrote up a uh, a, a little white paper on solving problem scenes. And I used that white paper. I had a need to go through the story that I'm working on and just kind of like parse out all the various scenes because I, I was going to do some some pretty significant, make some pretty significant structural changes. So I wanted to break it all down and just see what the highlights of the scenes were. And I decided to use what Taylor shared with us in episode 307, the whole idea of the importance of plot and or character and or conflict in each scene and the goal being that the more of each you have in a scene the better it is for the scene and you can correct me if i'm misstating any of no, that that's, so
1: that's absolutely right The 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 fundamental concept behind it is that if a scene is not doesn't serve a purpose to the story if it doesn't c- contain either conflict character or plot because those are the things that are driving the story forward so you can have really fascinating scene with great dialogue conversation but if it isn't revealing character moving the plot forward or involving conflict then it's not actually it doesn't need to be in the story or you have to rewrite it so that was the general concept of that whole worksheet or white paper as steve called it where i went through and just sort of did an if this then that if this then that to figure out what it is that's not working in the scene and they all revolved around character plot
0: and conflict. So with that as background I decided to go in and identified sort of like each scene each like a little one-liner for each scene or maybe several one-liners for each scene identifying the important parts of the scene so that when it came time to restructure things or pull things out I would know where they were. I identified Who was in the the various scenes and then i went i used the um the worksheet now that we'll call this the worksheet and the idea of character plot and conflict and sort of tagged each scene with what was there and interestingly enough some scenes had two of the three elements every so often i'd have one that had three of the three elements and to my great disappointment, every so often I'd have one that had none of the three elements. So I mentioned this to Taylor a couple of weeks ago, and she says, oh, this would make for a great show. Let's do it. So I've, I've sent her a copy of the spreadsheet, and what what were your initial thoughts?
1: Uh, well, not fit for public consumption, but with some <laughs> expletives about how amazing it was. <laughs> um <laughs> I, I was really quite impressed when I saw it, uh, the way that it was uh, broken down. I thought just the idea of going back and analyzing each scene as it was, that, were, that was already written, looking specifically to highlight out the character, the plot, and the conflict was an absolute perfect way of utilizing that material. But then the way that you broke it down even further, and you're looking for you know, who are the characters that are in this scene, who are the offstage characters that it relates to, when does this scene take place? I'm like, this is just amazing organization and probably very useful uh, with a little bit more development, which you can explain why for that in a second if you want to, but a little bit more development. It It could work hand in hand with that worksheet to help go through the material and see, all right, what am I missing? Even scenes that you don't think have problems Uh, does it really actually contain these elements and what are the actual elements? It's just an amazing way to help focus in on what's happening. I guess it's a way to part the forest and see the trees.
0: Oh, that's a really good way of putting it. And I also, I I put in time. So when, when everything was happening. uh, So it also serves as a timeline for me. So when I'm, excavating my own story and and pulling things out, I don't get uh, too wrapped around a tree, if we're going to keep using uh, trees as a part of the metaphors here. Uh, So this was a really interesting, it was an interesting process for me to go through this. I'd used a similar worksheet that I'd read about in in, in a writing book uh, a few years ago that I didn't find particularly useful. So some of this kind of came from that. Um, But I didn't. So you like you you
1: started building the spreadsheet based off of the information that you found in that book that you were reading. Yeah,
0: correct. And I didn't I'm not going to talk about that book because I didn't find a lot of the a lot of the information in there to be useful when I when I put it on the spreadsheet and looked at it and used it as a tool to identify what was happening in the story. It was not useful to me at all. So I just kind of put it away. But it, it was broken down in such a way that it was like, okay, scene and then story event. And so I just kind of used that as, as the basis of this. And it, this particular thing also, this spreadsheet also had the characters who were actually in the scene and the ca- characters who were mentioned in the scene but weren't in the scene, weren't on, on stage, so to speak. So I used that right. sort of as the baseline for this. So the, the goal for me was to be able to to be able to quickly go in the story where various elements were. There, there are a few major changes that I'm going to make to the story, but they pop up. The, the changes will require changes in multiple scenes, so I wanted to be able to quickly find those. And then the idea of throwing in the character, character plot and conflict was the most useful thing and, and made this spreadsheet much more useful for me. So I'm, I'm, I'll go with one specific example here, and I'll, I'll start with this, Taylor. Taylor knows the story, so um, she kind of knows. She doesn't know where I'm going with this, but th- this is an easy an easy thing. There's a scene where my character's out running on the beach. That whole part, the fact that he's running, what's going through his mind, that's all character development. There's the introduction of another character, uh, also all character development, and then there is an update on the case which is plot related. So in that particular scene, I've got character and plot and no conflict, so to speak. Um I mentioned this with another scene and and Taylor said, "Oh, but there is conflict in there."
1: The one you were talking about earlier was when they're at the beginning when they're discussing the like when the the, the story first opens and um you're like there's not really any conflict. Yeah. And so it made me think about the issue of conflict of how um, how do I put this? So in this scene, as it takes place in the story that I read, it, it could have changed since then. Um, the, the main character, Reggie, is in the home of his potential client, Mr. Charles Rudd, who has had a, an expensive baseball card. Apparently go missing. It, it seems to be a forgery and he's completely convinced that it was authentic when he bought it, but now he's not sure. And so he thinks that the, uh, the guy who sold him the, this baseball card is a thief and he's all angry or whatever. So that's setting up the entire story. No spoilers, because that is in the first you know few paragraphs of what's happening. So when, when you say there's not really any conflict in there, I immediately go, well, then there's a misunderstanding of what conflict means, because what we've just done is set up a potential conflict in that the Mr. Rudd believes that there's a thief involved and he's angry and vengeful. That's immediate conflict right there. He wants something bad to happen, and he wants to use Reggie as a tool to accomplish that. The second is that this man, Charles Rudd, is a client of his family's law firm and Reg- Reggie is sort of the black sheep he, he he's not a lawyer he does private investigative work and the firm will sometimes use him to handle stuff on the side outside the law firm that they don't want to mess with but they need him to figure out hey what's actually really going on here and that sets up an immediate conflict between him and the law firm and it sets up a somewhat conflict between what Charles Rudd thinks he's doing there and what Reggie's true obligations are, because Rudd is not his client. The, The law firm is his client. So it sets up a lot of room for conflict. And if that's not showing exactly on the page, because the basis for it already exists, it doesn't take very much to emphasize it with small line edits and word changes To to see the conflict, the base of the conflict that's already there and find a way to highlight it to up the tension, that's how you would do it. So conflict is not always like, you know, fighting and running and chasing or arguing or whatever. Sometimes it is two characters in opposition in their motives for wanting the same thing or two characters in opposition for any reason, but it's, it's subtle. And you bring that to the surface just through the character's thoughts or through the narrative or whatever. But the basis for it is already there. And, and I see that. Now, because this is the, the opening scene in the opening chapter, there's not a lot of pressure to you, to cram it all in. You, you, you have a little bit of time and space to start setting the story. So you're not going to feel the lack of conflict There as much as you would in some of the subsequent chapters when there's really not a lot going on. So when you say there's, you know, there's plot, but if the plot itself doesn't really move the story forward, and there's not this underlying sense of, oh, something might not go right, or something doesn't make sense, then it's going to feel like nothing's happening um you're not going to care about it. So, you're not that's not going to stand out as much in the opening chapters because that's where everything's getting established as it will in later scenes when we now are, have that expectation of all right, let's get on with it, right? But this worksheet is so clever in being able to actually see at a glance what's going on in a scene. It helps to or it's a, it's, a, it's a fantastic thought organizer, in my opinion.
0: Okay, and one of the reasons that I did the worksheet is to kind of expand on what you were saying uh, within the first scene. Let's assume that there is inherent conflict there, because obviously there there is, but it's something that needs to be enhanced, maybe a little bit. And that's yeah. kind of what I was looking at for this, where if if there wasn't, something that was explicit it didn't mean that it it couldn't be enhanced and so let's go down if if you will to scene 6 okay and this is I, I can't i can't completely remember this scene but i believe this is the first scene where reggie is just thinking over what's happening in the case by himself he's just pondering things which is sort of something that happens in mysteries there there are situations where Uh, The main character has to think through things to understand what's happening and to let the reader know what's happening. So in each of the two elements that I identified there, one of which was thinking about the case, the other was going to the office and and doing some task, um, I identified both of those as character and plot. So the character, uh, I'm developing the character some and I'm helping to explain the plot in both instances. But in my mind, there was no conflict there. So if there were a way to weave some conflict in from either an earlier scene or just some part of the musing, it seems to me like that would strengthen the story. I don't I don't know if you remember this particular scene, but there were a lot of those Reggie is musing scenes in the, in right. the book.
1: Right. So I don't know that I necessarily 100% remember this scene specifically, but I do think that when I was going over these notes with you, I was saying, this is navel gazing, nothing's really happening in this scene. There has to be another reason for him to be doing these actions besides just giving him an opportunity to think about stuff. And I don't know if that applied to this particular scene or not, but in, in a case like this where you have the character thinking about the case and that happens a lot in my own work as well where you've got to be able to outline what's happening. You raise the conflict by the character himself coming up with like that doesn't track. Why is he doing this? I'm not sure I'm being told the whole story or whatnot. And when you do that, you're raising you're you're laying the foundation for conflict. It's there. It exists. You can heighten it. And you also create um, a sense of curiosity in the reader. It's more than just, hey, where's this character going with this thing? I'm reading what he's doing. But now that bug is in their mind and and they're like, "Okay, now what's happening? Yeah. What about that thing? And well it makes your character seem smart because they're picking up on stuff and now the readers like yeah what about that but you have to be careful too because you're opening up threads every time you do that you're opening up a thread so you have to actually know where you're going with it or have a plan where to go with it and keep looping that then back into the story but that was is how you would create conflict in a scene that doesn't have conflict and additionally you can another way you can do it is you can open up a sub thread a sub I don't want to say sub thread, but like a sub uh, topic, a sub uh, plot line. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> um, so, in this scene, the reason that Reggie goes to his office to check email is that he doesn't carry a smartphone. And that in itself can create a subplot that somehow comes back of him not carrying that smartphone. Applies in more than just a reason to get him to the office to check email. Uh, The other thing is, I would look at this and go, well, does the plot require him to go to the office to check email or is this a character thing? Because if him not carrying a phone and having to go to the office means that because he's at the office, something else happens, then that's going to feel contrived. But if it's just part of his character, then you you go with it in that way. And in that sense, it's not really plot. It's more about character because if he could have um, found that same information by carrying a cell phone and that cell phone is not going to interact, that lack of a cell phone is not going to interact with the story in any meaningful way down the line, then that is a character thing. And that would say that this Scene not only is lacking conflict, it's also very light on plot. And then that would make you go, all right, is this scene even necessary? What is so critical about this scene that it has to be here? And if it's only him musing about the case, then, and the rest of it doesn't really matter that much. It's just him going somewhere to accomplish something or something that could be solved with as much as I checked email a phrase like that, I checked email, then what this scene actually probably means is the the bulk of it that's important to the story, which is him musing about the case, could probably be included in a different scene where he's actually going somewhere, doing something of importance that directly connects to the plot. And there you've just eliminated a scene that, feels like not a lot is happening, or that certain activities are being constructed only as bookends to allow him to think about the case. You eliminate that sense of not so much is happening here, and you integrate the important parts with a different scene. And that's the again coming back to my this genius of a spreadsheet like this is it allows you to see that in a very concise way that you might not have noticed just reading through the thousands of words that it takes on the page to bring that about, because that's where you get distracted by all the other little interesting details and whatnot. So that is the answer to the lack of conflict. And also that maybe it doesn't have as much plot as you think it does and how to tell and how to fix it.
0: Okay. So let's, let's scroll down now in your spreadsheet Taylor to scene nine this is okay. something before i sent the <clears throat> the manuscript to taylor i under under the chapter heading i put i think this whole section can be taken out and her her comment to me was this was the first scene where i actually liked reggie and i i didn't get that but in in looking through this and and going through this whole process this is one of the first scenes where there's not intense action, where there's actual character, plot, and conflict, A- according to the spreadsheet. All of those are there. And that was interesting to me, because I th- I thought that that scene could be easily deleted. It didn't add any value. You disagreed in your comments. And then when I l- when I looked at it again uh through this lens of character plot and conflict they were all there kind of in in equal sections and i i could see the value and I, I you'll see a note there as my last thing there this scene needs serious work the issue with the parents needs clarity that's because i'm planning on changing that and so this is one of those points to tag hey this is this is a section where i need to deal with Parent issues, kind of thing. But this this was some this was a section where using this particular uh, concept of identifying character, plot, and conflict would have told me that this scene has value that I didn't see initially.
1: I agree with that. Um, if I'm remembering correctly, uh, the reason why at the time you felt the scene didn't necessarily need to stay is because. On the surface, it didn't really seem to be um, doing anything for the plot. And that's because up until that point in the story, we've heard about Reggie's family a bit, but we've never, other than some very brief interactions with his sister, we've never actually seen them all interact together. And in this story, Reggie's family, because it's a light and sort of a light mystery it's not dark and you know violent it's it's a cozy kind of a cozy in that sense not like an old older woman is you know figuring some murder in her neighborhood style cozy but just it's it's light lighter fair there's no swearing there's no real gore none of that right and so in in a story like that the the character's family provides a lot of the drama there and that drama plays out later on in the story where uh, there's a conflict between what the law firm and the family want and what Reggie wants in this case and this scene was the first scene where you really truly felt that family drama come out because it was a real-life interaction real-time interaction versus just Reggie telling you about what his family was like The issue was that it was somewhat disconnected from the story in that it set up, it was setting up this fantastic conflict, and then that conflict got dropped. It's just there was really not a whole lot made of it throughout the story. So when I was saying this is the first time I really felt this, uh, well, what I really felt was that this made Reggie feel like a real person, it made his family feel real, and not just sketches, and the scene itself had huge value for that. But also, it had huge value for interwoven conflict throughout that could have been ramped up and intensified had it actually been used. But it got dropped for the sake of other plot points. So my point was, don't get rid of it, emphasize it, and use this to to build up some of the spots of the story where Things just kind of drop off, or doesn't really feel like much is happening. That that's where I was going with that.
0: Okay. And you know the rest. It's just kind of more of the same. Doing this after the fact, all the way after the fact, uh, seems like I'm adding work to the process.
1: Like you wish you would have thought this through. I ahead wish of I time. would have thought
0: it through ahead of time. Um, but there were a lot of things I didn't know when I when I wrote the early drafts of, of this. Absolutely,
1: There's no way to learn how to write without actually going through the process and and understanding how it works for you. That's the only way to do it. And there's always so many mistakes or I wouldn't even say mistakes or time lapses as you learn. But that's the that's the price of learning this whole thing, the, the, the art of storytelling through the craft of writing. And so I look at this. Uh, this worksheet and my brain is just firing. I'm like almost having a hard time focusing right now. And my brain is just firing a million miles a minute thinking, okay, this is how I would restructure this work. We could do this. We could do that. And I'm like, I just so want to get my hands on it and just start playing with it and figuring out how to adapt it in order to make it work a little, fit a little bit better with the whole hack the craft concept and specifically the story building elements of character plot and conflict. So who knows, maybe after the new year or something, I might have a new worksheet to present and say, all right, I cribbed off of what Steve did, who had cribbed off what somebody else had done, and here's where we're at with this. And who knows, or maybe not. But well, I'm very well, I hope excited you do. about it I because I do. see the potential here. Going back to the discussion that Steve and I had and why I was like, oh my God, we have to do this as a show. It wasn't even so much the worksheet or the spreadsheet itself It was that he had taken the concepts of plot, character, and conflict and worked with that worksheet that I had put together and sent to him. You can also find it on Patreon. Um, And said, All right, I'm going through every scene now to see where the plot, the character, and the conflict is and to find out what's missing. And I'm like, That is brilliant that's the core of this that made me so excited is that he had actually worked through each scene looking highlighting is this character is this plot is this conflict what's missing the spreadsheet was just a way to get that into an organized fashion but that he went through the story looking for those holes because in the in that worksheet I talk about how every scene needs to have at least one of these elements, preferably two at the minimum. But the real hat trick, which is a hockey term, I guess, when you (laughs) get the real hat trick is um, when you get all three of them in one, that's going to be your strongest scene. And you don't want to um, like artificially make it that way where you're trying to bend the scene into something that it's not just to hit those highlights that's going to make the story feel like crazy and isn't it's not going to really work but you need to your goal is to take what already exists and emphasize that in order to bring out those highlights and and to me that He went through that and did that. I was just like, that is just so awesome and so amazing. We need to talk about it. And then he had a worksheet, a spreadsheet on top of it. I was like, oh, this is so crazy. This is so good. So I I would highly recommend that if you have a story that it's even maybe well written, but and it's just not clicking, and this would be especially true for situations where you've even gotten all the way to having agents request uh, your manuscript and then them just going, you know, it's good, but it's not right for me or it's just not ready yet or whatever, then that is where you go and you're like, right, all right, let me go through this and just really analyze it on a scene-by-scene basis of what's working. Have, have I emphasized the connections of the conflict? Is it, is it everything that it could be? How can I take what already exists and make it more? Uh, it's possible that the solution does, for you doesn't lie in that. I, I talked recently in a, I don't know how many shows back about a story that I had done that just wasn't working and nobody could really tell me what was wrong with it. Like professional people who do this for a living, like this is so good, but Is also there's something missing and how I had this epiphany of what it was and I know how to fix it knowing and doing not the same thing but I know what it needs now um it wasn't had really did not have anything to do with the conflict or the character of the plot that stuff was all there it was had more to do in the order and how that information was conveyed and so it it, I'm not saying that this is a fail safe going to apply to everybody is absolutely going to fix your problems, but it is a tool for solving problems that may work for you. And it's probably the first place to start is analyzing scenes for character plot and conflict and seeing how those run. If you've got a story with almost all plot, you know, you've got a problem. If you've got a story with almost all character, you know, you've got a problem. You're going to want to really see a, a balance. Those are three legs, character, plot, and conflict. It's like a stool. You need all three of them and they need to be balanced for the story to really work. And so going through a a spreadsheet like this, where you've gone through your story and outlined what exactly is in each scene, it gives you the possibility to see it from a bird's eye view and you can see the imbalance if it exists and that will give you focus on where to go to look for solutions.
0: All right. So that is our show for this week. Taylor, will we be be back next week?
1: No. (laughs) It's (laughs) Christmas time. (laughs) We are going to take a break, very small break. We'll be off air for one week and then be back again on December 28th, I think, with the the final show of the year, 2021. Wow. How did that happen?
0: We, we wish you uh, happy holidays, Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, whatever you're celebrating. We hope it's we hope it's uh, wonderful. And uh, we will be back with you again on December 28.
1: Thanks for being here, guys. We love your questions. Anything you want to send us. Uh, we always need content and we will see you again before the year closes out. Thanks for being here.